اوزبلشیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ان دا نیم اول دا گریشس دا مس السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ مے دا پیس اینڈ بلیسنگ آف گوڈ او مائی ٹی وی اپون یو آل ویلکم ٹو اے ندر بریکفسٹ شو یو آر جوائنڈ بائی مائی سیلف توکیر ہیئر ان دا اسٹوڈیو آف وائس آف اسلام اینڈ آلسو امام عثمان منان اینڈ ایز دا لسنرز نو آئی یوزلی پرزینٹ آن فرائیڈے مارننگز ود ود بردر ولید اینڈ امام فرید بٹ دس دس مارننگ وی ول بی کورنگ ونس ڈے مارننگ فار آر لسنرس سو وی ڈو ہوپ دیٹ یو گوئنگ ٹو بی انجوائنگ دس شو ٹو ڈے اینڈ جسٹ ٹو اسٹارٹ آف یو نو دی ایز یو نو دی ایجنڈا آف دس شو دا فرسٹ ہاف این آور وی وی لائک ٹو گو We like to run down some of the current news which is happening around the world. Um, and then we also go into our main segment. So today we will be going into three main segments. But before I go into the detail as to what we will be discussing, uh, I wanted to start off with the weather uh, for today. Um, so today the forecast th- says that there will be areas of cloud through the morning with just some brief bright spells in places a few showers will linger in places too and the afternoon looks to be largely dry with sunny spells and the forecast for tonight is that it will be wet and windy at first with heavy outbreaks of rain moving northwards through the course of the night and it will turn drier with just a few outbreaks of rain lingering in places so that's the fo- forecast from bbc weather so uh, do make sure that you have a raincoat with you a uh, an umbrella with you just just in case you know um, if you do uh, if you are traveling and you know you are caught up in a bit of rain so uh, just it's best to say, stay dry uh, but usman you were also presenting on uh, yesterday morning I, i was listening to the show as well uh you you were you were presenting really? along with uh, imam samarsab so yes uh, how how was that for you yeah it was it went well he's he's a really good presenter i enjoyed presenting with him he's actually uh he's actually my classmate both of me and uh summer we went to the same we were in the same year of uh as our listeners know uh, to jamia amdia uk the Theo- the theology institute um you know where we've all done our studies where we've learned about uh islam where we've learned about comparative religion so he he was in in my class so we were we were good friends we still are good friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but uh, it, it was i was just listening so it's good you're you're you're, you're doing second day second day uh, in a row that's very good are you yourself as well <laughs> um and uh, wh- where where are you currently based where where are you serving within the hamdi muslim community currently uh currently i'm um working uh, in the international talim al quran academy uh which is an online academy for <coughs> for teaching uh, the holy quran um it starts off with very basic um the basic rules you know learning the letters the arabic letters um then they move on to because uh, uh, the arabic vowels there's uh, so there's there's the sounds r e u these sounds and then children uh, as young as 4 years old can join this academy and uh, um start learning how the pronunciation and the arabic language and um, this this is international anyone yes. 
from the Ahmadiyya Muslim community can join um, this and they, they can learn the Holy Quran from anywhere around the world. Yes, yes, there's be international. It, be it Malaysia or Pakistan or mm-hmm. America, USA, they, um, they can join. Currently, um, I think there's no students from Pakistan, the reason being because of the, the persecutions and the laws over there. Uh, actually, this, this institute or this academy was moved from Pakistan to the UK. It was originally in Pakistan, but uh, as I said, because of the circumstances there, they had to shut down everything, and this whole program was moved over to the UK. And now we have uh, we have many students from Canada. Canada is very active, and Indonesia, Malaysia, um, Australia, and uh, obviously the UK and Europe as well. So these are the the main areas. And uh, so we 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 have classes. Our, our timings are, I think, twenty hours in a day. So starting nine in the morning. It's the first class which starts and then it goes all the way uh, until 1 a.m. Because in Canada, the, the time difference is so huge that when it's our um, like midnight over, over over there in Canada, it's probably 6 p.m., which is, you know, the convenient time to uh, to learn or there's a free time for the children to study. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing uh, when, uh, as we are discussing this topic, one one particular verse which comes <coughs> into our mind of the Holy Quran, uh, where God Almighty, he says that, inna nahnu nazalna zikra wa inna lahu lahafizun in, uh, in Surah Hijr in uh, chapter 15, where referring to the Holy Quran, he says that surely we have sent down this a zikr referring to the Holy Quran and uh, we will be its pr- uh, protectors um, and referring here that God Almighty will look after the Holy Quran um, until the day of judgment and this mm-hmm. itself is a beautiful prophecy because uh, if we look at the Holy Quran uh, in a scenario where let's say for example there, there was no uh, printed copy of the Holy Quran there was absolutely no copy whatsoever yeah. Um, you know, at the same time, there will be thousands and thousands of uh, memorizers of the Holy Quran, hufas of the Holy Quran, uh, that that know the Holy Quran by by memory. Um, so it's it's just an amazing how God Almighty, uh, you know, he this prophecy is in the Holy Quran that he lo- he will look after this uh, this Holy Quran and and he will protect its uh, text text from word to word. Um, and not only that, but also through uh, through his uh, through the prophet, and also through through the uh, saints that will come later on, they will protect the holy Quran, and they will, you know, there's always new interpretation of different verses, you know, different. Um, we you learn so much from the holy Quran on a daily basis, so it's just absolutely amazing, you know, uh, looking at the work that the um, international Talimul Quran. Academy is doing um, so yeah just moving on from that uh, uh, for our listeners the three main topics that we're covering today is from 7.30 to 8 we're going to be looking at International Day for Tolerance um, and uh, from 8 to 8.30 we will be looking at reasons to be optimistic about the climate summit um, so we'll be listening to Adeline Stewart who, who is from uh, Graytham Research Institute will be listening to Jamie Sims, uh, who is from Hope for the Future. Um, and then lastly, we'll be looking at the topic, according to a study, uh, half a million British people drinking black tea 
may reduce the risk of premature death from heart disease. Um, so in this segment, we'll be listening to Dr. Tim Bo- Bond, who is T advisory panel, and we'll also be listening to Erica Moore, who is the founder and MD of uh, Etik. Um, so that's just the plan for today. But if any of our listeners do want to contribute, if they have anything they do want to say, they can do so by calling us on 0286877878. Or you can do it to us at Voice of Islam UK. Um, so, uh, Imam Usmanah, is there any any particular news item that you wanted to share with our listeners? Um, yeah, so um, I think the recent news is that two people have been killed in Poland after a missile landed near the Ukrainian border because of the war. And uh, according to US President Joe Biden, it's unlikely that the missile was fired from Russia. Um, Russia's defense ministry denies it was behind the blast and says it is a deliberate provocation aimed at escalation. So Russia is blaming uh, <coughs> the opposite side that they want to escalate this war. Um, and I assume they're trying, to, they're meaning that they want to de-escalate it. But however, the Polish president, um, Adrzej Duda, says there is no conclusive evidence as to who launched the missile. In Bali, world leaders have gathered on the sidelines of the G20 summit to discuss the situation. Russia launched one of its biggest barrages of missiles uh, against Ukraine on Tuesday. Uh, and the capital, Kiev, was among the cities hit with officials saying at least one person was found dead. So this is the, the, the latest um, news right now. Um, apart from that, we have um, we can look at the, the main headlines, or um, if you see any other in, um, interesting articles. Yes. So, yes. So, there's another. Uh, what I like to do is that uh, I like to also cover some of the news which is uh, happening with regards to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as well. And uh, recently, uh, His Holiness Azam Zamsur Ahmed, head of the Ahmadiyya. Muslim community, the 5th Caliph, Hazem Zamsur Ahmed, he held a virtual online meeting with members of the executive uh, Ahmadiyya Muslim <coughs> Women's Auxiliary Organization uh, in Belgium uh, on the 6th of November 2022. So just a little um, overview or insight into this <coughs> virtual sitting. It says that His Holiness presided the meeting um, from empty studios in Islamabad and Tilford, while as the the members they joined from the Bethul Majib uh, Mosque in Brussels in Belgium. <coughs> so during the meeting, His Holiness uh, he emphasized the importance of conveying the peaceful message of Islam to the public, and His Holiness instructed that uh, the that the Ahmadiyya ex- Muslim Women's Auxiliary Organization. Um, that uh, they they should set ambitious targets in this regard. And speaking about the importance of conveying Islam's message to the people in Belgium, His Holiness, he said that, try to find some pockets of people to convey the message of Islam, Ahmadiyyad, from among Arabs, from among local Belgium, uh, Belgians and Asians who are migrants here. So try to focus on different ethnic groups for 
form specialist teams for conveying the message of Islam to different groups and this is how you can achieve your target or at least enable you to spread the message of Islam and also advising the the secretary um, Tarbiyat who is responsible for the moral and spiritual training of the of the women's uh, association the the members uh, his holiness he said that about the training of their children he said that converse with your children on religious matters so that they learn the faith ask the mothers to hold discussions on religion at home and the the secretary uh, mentioned that they wish to create awareness about the issues mothers are facing in raising their children in the modern environment so advising her on how to how to do so in an effective way his holiness said that it is good to do so um, and you should create a list of issues they face and solutions to almost all the issues they have uh, been explained in various speeches and sermons and in the sayings of the holy prophet muhammad peace and bless of allah be upon him and in the in the holy quran find the answers to the issues from there and make them accessible for mothers so they know how to reply to the question of their children <coughs> and between the fathers and the children and between between mothers and children they ought to be a real relationship so that the children share the, their issues with them and unless the children develop a habit of sharing their problems with their parents they will continue to be problems that arise in the upbringing of the children and ask the daughters what their concerns are and also speak to the mothers and also ask boys under the age of 15 and those above the age of 15 ask them to uh, with the help of the Amdiya <coughs> Muslim Youth Association so that's just a brief snippet of this uh, virtual uh, sitting His Holiness had with the Amdiya Muslim Women's Auxiliary Organization in Belgium um, and you know, we, we see that on a weekly basis His Holiness, he gives time to the members of the community. And in a, in a way, it's it's such a blessing that through this pandemic, you know, al- although there was, um, there was a restriction on travel and restriction on people meeting each other, mm, yeah. uh, because of this, His Holiness, uh, you know, th- there, w- there, was a, there was a request, you know, that... Uh, there should be a virtual uh, me- meeting with with His Holiness, and you know that that has started um, on a weekly basis. And you know, so many members of the Amdiyam community have benefited from it. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you, you you'll see a lot of these meetings His Holiness has with members in Indonesia, in India, um, and personally, I've spoken to a few members. You know. Uh, for example, in India, and you know they were just so amazed that you know they've never met uh, the 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 Khalif of time, uh, but to meet him even on in on just virtually to to just to listen to him, and you know he's addressing you. He, you mm. know they're absolutely uh, amazed by that. So it's it's it's, it's always very um, very awe inspiring, and uh, yeah. You know, whereas in in COVID, everything was. Uh, kind of shut down um, uh, by the grace of Allah, we we found this opportunity, uh, His Holiness, that through through virtual meetings which weren't happening before, so this opened another door to uh, meeting uh, 
uh, you know, others, uh, His Holiness can meet his community, and uh, as you said, on a weekly basis, which is um, alternatively covering the whole world. And so many people are definitely, they're very, very um, emotional about this as well. And I think that the f- sometimes you have something close to you, so you take it for granted. But uh, looking at these people who um, don't have this fortunate blessing to see um, His Holiness, uh, to see them, how they react, despite being so far from f- physically from him, uh, it always uh, you know, brings back... Um, a bit of faith, a bit of uh, makes you feel good, makes you uh, makes you self reflect that um, what you have, what is close to you, you shouldn't take it for granted, and uh, always always remember Hazur, um, His Holiness, in your prayers. Absolutely, and uh, are you looking forward forward to the World Cup uh, as well? Yes, yes. Um, actually, I was talking to uh, Imam Summer yesterday about it. Um, because uh, he he's he's a uh, he's supporting England and I'm supporting Germany here. <laughs> okay, okay. So, yeah, but um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, hopefully this this Sunday is starting. Monday is uh, I think England's first match on Monday. Yeah, so absolutely. So and and uh, you know it, as you mentioned that it's starting on Sunday and the hosts uh, Qatar they will be playing against Ecuador. Um, so that will be the first uh, match and England and Wales squads uh, they flew out to Qatar on Tuesday uh, and <coughs> England is set to train for the first time in Qatar today uh, before media um, at around 1.30 GMT and uh, first Wales training session and media due to take place on Thursday morning so that's just uh, a little insight into that. Uh, did did mm-hmm. you did you watch the uh, cricket World Cup? Are you into cricket yourself? Uh, yeah, um, I'm not into it as much as football, but uh, I did watch the final. Yes, um, between uh, again, it was England in there, England and Pakistan, and uh, England got the better of them. Absolutely, um, and. Uh, I mean, you you personally don't watch it yourself, but some you, these sort of massive matches you you tune into. Yeah, yeah, like occasionally I don't follow it um, as as a fan or something, but um, because uh, you know in cricket the the international teams are like the big teams, mm. um, whereas in football you know like United or Man City these these clubs are very big, very famous. The international football is not on that level, um, financial wise as well. But uh, in in cricket, the international players they this is their job basically. This is their their um, employment. So they got a lot of money. So um, there's only the most more famous ones are the international matches. So I do watch some of them. <coughs> and and I, and I think since they they've started T Twenty, it's a lot more exciting, right? Because the games are a lot shorter, um, yeah. and there's a lot more there's a lot more hitting uh, involved. Definitely um, is is uh, much shorter. For those who don't know, basically in cricket there's three, three um, plays playing styles. First is the T20, which is a 20 over match. Yeah. Then there is the the one day, which is 50 overs, and then there's a test match, which mm. which lasts five days. Mm. <laughs> so um, there's this um, story I heard once. I don't know if it's true. It's about about Adolf Hitler. Mm. Um, so he said that. Uh, Back in the days, a couple decades ago, the, the test match used to be eight days. Yeah. So it was even longer. 
So Germany was playing uh, some team and Hitler w- tried, w- was watching the match and for eight days. And the, and the format of the cricket is, is a bit different. There's no, there's no like win and lose instantly. It's like so one team uh, plays, he bats first, so they score. Uh, they set a score and then the other team has to um, bat and then there's a second inning so mm. like two turns and uh, it's not like they combine the score and whoever gets more wins the aim is that whatever score the other team has set you either beat the score or you uh, you take out all the players mm. you you bowl them if you don't do either of these this, your score doesn't matter mm. so after eight days because they weren't able to beat them the, the, te- the test match was uh, decided as a draw so he got angry after he wasted his eight days for uh, n- not, not even a, nobody nobody won there was no result it was a draw mm. so apparently he shot all his his own his own team but I don't know if it's true I've, I've never <laughs> looked into it but it's a funny story <laughs> that is that is very funny um, I mean cr- cricket itself uh, you know I just wanted to mention that uh, not just cricket but any other sport that we do uh, if we look at the teachings of Islam, it says that you know we, we should look after our physical health, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, the the Holy Prophet peace and bless of Allah be upon him, he has said at one place that that a healthy believer is uh, better than a weak believer, meaning that uh, we should look after our physical health, and if we are physically active, then we can also we can also uh, perform our other duties, um, such as you know our our duties uh, to that we owe to God Almighty, remembering God Almighty five times a day, um, and all other tasks. So mm-hmm. Islam encourages that we should look after our physical health as well. And with that, dear listeners, we're just going to be going into a short break. Um, and after this short break, we'll be going into our main segment, and we'll be looking at International Day for tolerance so don't go anywhere we'll be back shortly after this break simplified answers to frequently asked questions does islam permit organ donation saving a human life is the duty of a muslim if it is in his capacity to do so so organ donation to save a life of another person is something that will be highly praised and encouraged in islam but there is one condition if organ donation is done during the lifetime of the donor like for example in the case of someone donating one of his kidneys to another person, then the donation should not cause threat to the life of the donor or be a cause of any harm to the health of the donor. Other than that, which has been mentioned, Islam fully permits organ donation. It is imperative that nations and their leaders do not focus only on their own national interests, but consider what is best for the world at large. Dialogue with other nations and communities is vital and each party should work together with the spirit of tolerance and with the shared objective of developing true and sustainable peace in the world. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Peace be upon you. Welcome back after the short break. We will be starting our second segment which will be about the International Day of Tolerance. Um, so, 
the big question here is is there tolerance in this world right now intolerance is, is increasing in many areas of the world currently societies are more diverse and despite the world being more um, connected to one another this hasn't this hasn't uh, improved intolerance um there has been a rise in violent extremism and significant human rights violations um, there's there's a uh, hatred and uh, all kinds of phobias against refugees all over the world this has uh, transpired since world war 2 due to the crisis that forced many to migrate to different countries in this regard um we find a verse in the holy quran uh, allah the almighty states o mankind we have created you from a male and a female and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes for easy recognition verily the most honorable among you is the in the sight of god is the most righteous among you surely god is all-knowing all aware um in this verse we we've, we've the this these these words that the most honorable among you is the most right righteous among you in the sight of god this is this is the um essence of islam here that um nobody is superior to any other person um but when it comes to righteousness this is where the true um superior superiority lies because the more righteous a person is he will be he will be liked more he will be loved more he will love more so as as a person this this is what improves you this is what takes you to the to the highest level of human morality um apart from that there is a saying of the holy prophet uh, uh muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him uh, he states that oh people your lord is one you are the progeny of the same father who was created from dust uh, referring to um adam peace be upon him hence it is not permissible for you to discriminate between high and low neither an arab has superiority over a non-arab or a non-arab over an arab a white person is not superior to a black person nor a black person superior to a white person the most honorable among you in the sight of god is the one who is the most righteous uh, you just heard this um statement in in the in the short break as well again the holy prophet peace be upon him is highlighting the 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 essence and the the importance of tolerance and uh, um the um, justice and uh, equality and uh, th- we need to remember that this was a time when uh, when when slavery was you know it it was a common thing at that time in in those arab uh, countries and all over the world slaves were treated very very unjustly and they were not they were not thought to be human they were they made they, they were just possessions and when the holy prophet uh, peace be upon him when he came when he was uh, born when he when he announced his message of prophethood at that time uh, we find many historical evidences that the state of saudi arabia was was very very miserable in terms of morality and justice so the arabs would would persecute um the slaves they would uh, torture them they would uh, they would not give any any importance to them so in that time doing this statement th- th- this is something which is which is which couldn't couldn't be believed 
it was something unbelievable at that time. Um, <clears throat> uh, well, getting back to the topic, um, uh, hi the history of uh, the Declaration of Principles on Tolerance and uh, its aim, what, what would we know about that? The UN General Assembly invited the UN members uh, UN member states to observe the International Day for Tolerance on 16th November today. More than 70 years ago, the call to practice tolerance was written into the identity of the United Nations. And states should endorse existing international human rights conventions and draft new legislations to guarantee quality uh, other treatment for all members of society. Um, steps must be taken to ensure dignity and rights for individuals and groups. Um, promotes to use of education in preventing intolerance by teaching people their rights and freedoms and uh, advocate, commit to um, to promoting tolerance and non-violence through programs and institutions. What is the UNESCO uh, Madanjeet Singh Prize for promoting tolerance and non-violence? Uh, this prize basically aims to reward people, institutions or um, NGOs that have demonstrated outstanding contributions to promoting tolerance and non-violence. It was inspired by the ideals of UNESCO, um, UNESCO's constitution that declares that peace, if it is not to fail, must be founded on the intellectual and moral solidarity of mankind. Um, the prize was founded in 1995 on the occasion of the United Nations Year of Tolerance uh, and the, this prize was named after an internationally known author due to his uh, lifelong devotion to the cause, uh, commonly um, uh, harmony and peace. And uh, the, the award for this is $100,000. Um, now, what, what are the five things UNESCO is doing for tolerance? What, what, are, what is UNESCO aiming for? Um, using legislation to fight intolerance, it states that each government is responsible for enforcing human right, rights laws. Using education to fight intolerance, it promotes the use of education in teaching children about intolerance and human rights. Apart from that, it endorses policies that generate and encourage uh, press freedom to allow the public to differentiate between facts and opinions. Uh, it also encourages individual awareness in the promotion of intolerance, uh, promotes local solutions by encouraging small groups to unite against hatred, intolerance and violence. I mean, this is a this is a very interesting topic that you know we're looking at uh, tolerance and you know religious tolerance in general. Um, that how can we live in a society where people are from different backgrounds, different ethnic minorities? How can we live in a world uh, with so much differences but live in peace? And this is a very important uh, discussion to discuss and. I, I, what we see quite often is that a lot of the times uh, not knowing about a, a certain uh, religion or you know not 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 knowing much in detail can affect uh, how we treat one another as well for example i remember just last friday we were discussing 
that now in secondary schools here in the UK, they've started to teach less and less religious studies, uh, mm-hmm. to especially to year 11s. And, you know, the, the effect of that is that uh, even children, they're, they're not well aware of of different religion. And, for example, um, what we see in the media uh, is that Islam itself is uh, is being attacked. Um, and because of that, uh, a lot of people, they have a uh, misconception about Islam. And unless mm. we don't address the issue, it's not going to resolve. It's not going to resolve. You know, people uh, will always have that misconception about Islam. Yeah. Um, and unless we don't address it, uh, it's going to continuously increase. And, uh, you know, if we look at the teachings of Islam, we, we see that... Uh, you know the teachings of Islam are pure, and the word itself, Islam, means peace. And if we try to look at some of the main principle within within Islam, we see that uh, what the media portrays is far from the truth itself. Let us, for example, look at the concept of jihad. Uh, you know, the there is a notion that the word that the that the word jihad it means a a holy religious war uh, mm. well in actual fact if the word jihad is the root word is jahada and it means to strive and islam itself uh, you know it says that we 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 should look after one another and it uh, highlighting the sanctity of life we find a verse of the holy quran in chapter 5 verse 33 and uh, God Almighty, He says that, and we prescribed in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, that we prescribed for the children of Israel that whosoever killed a person, unless it be killing, for uh, unless it be for killing a person or for creating disorder in the land, it shall be as if he had killed all of mankind. And whoso gave life to one, it shall be as if he had given life to all of mankind. And our messengers came to them with clear signs, yet even after that many of them commit access in the land. So very clearly in this particular verse, God Almighty is saying that if a person it kills another person, it is as if he has killed the whole of mankind. And if one person has saved a life, it is as if he has given life to all of mankind. So, in this particular verse, uh, you know, we learn how we should look after one another and we should protect one another um, rather than, you know, that concept of jihad itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, if we look at the word jihad, as I mentioned, that it means to strive, but what is the best form of jihad? What is the best ultimate form of jihad according to the Holy Quran? Well, the the Quran has answered that, and th- this we find in chapter twenty five, verse fifty three, where God Almighty says, "Wajahid hum bihi jihad and kabira," referring here that strive against them with the help of this book. So be, here, the word "bihi" is referring to the Holy Quran. So God Almighty says that strive against them with the help of this book, with the Holy Quran. So. In actual fact, the best jihad is to set a good example 
uh, to others by acting upon the teachings of Islam. And it is through this holy book, through these beautiful teachings, that we can we can uh, exhibit the best form of jihad. And the second form of jihad is the jihad bin nafs, to strive against yourself, against your evil, your own evils, and to self-reform. And then, lastly, is the jihad bin safe the the uh, and and this itself um, is that jihad that was prescribed at that time was in self-defense. Um, and I mean, we've read this verse many times as well here on Voice of Islam that, uh, you know, it says that to take up the sword at that time, at, at the time where uh, Muslims, they were persecuted for 13 yeah. years. And I think it's something it, along that permission was given to the to the Muslims to fight back. And the reason stated there is that they were persecuted, they were driven out of their homes, mm. and they were being killed. So you, you, you're very true, um, saying very true that it was in self-defense. And at that time, jihad was saved, the jihad with the sword. The reason why... So the jihad is not referring to war here. It's, it's referring to the struggle. So those those Muslims in the beginning, they were in very, very poor conditions in terms of warfare they didn't have any training they they were mostly farmers and uh, the, the their enemies most mostly would be uh, trained soldiers so for a farmer to you know take up a soldier is you need a lot of um, um self confidence and this this is the struggle that is referred to in this uh, um war or fight with the sword it means that fight your own soul and force yourself to fight in this war for the purpose of saving and protecting Islam, not for killing people, not for uh, any any benefit f- through it, but the whole the sole purpose of this fight, the struggle, was to defend Islam. In fact, the Holy Quran states that if at that time the Muslims did not stand up to the disbelievers, uh, the thing is that those those disbelievers they they were not against Islam, they were against religion. They were against Christians, they were against Jews, they were against Muslims. Any religion, they said that we don't want religion to exist. We want our law to rule this world. So if those people did not stop the disbelievers at that time, it w- they would have destroyed everything, every synagogue, any mo- every mosque, every church. So this this uh, struggle of the, of the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the struggle of those people at that time was... It was a benefit to every religion. It was a benefit. It was in 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 the name of all the religions and all the people, not just, uh, you know, it, it wasn't an offensive war. It was yeah. a defensive. And and that verse you're referring to is from chapter twenty-two, verse forty-one, mm-hmm. uh, where God Almighty says <coughs> in the Holy Quran, in the name of Allah, the Gracious, the Merciful, and our Lord is Allah. And if Allah did not repel some men by means of others. They would have surely uh, have been pulled down cloisters, churches, and synagogues and mosques wherein the name of Allah is oft commemorated. And Allah will surely help one who helps him. Allah is indeed powerful, mighty. So in this verse, God Almighty here is saying that if Muslims themselves, they did not protect uh, Islam at that time, it was not just Islam that was under threat, but in fact, in actual fact, it was 
religion itself, which was under attack. And the Holy Quran very beautifully says that, uh, you know, if if uh, Muslims had not protected themselves at that time, then these people, they would have surely also attacked the cloisters and the churches, synagogues, and then the mosques. So this was a very crucial moment that uh, religion itself was under attack. But if we, uh, let's say, look at the life of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, the first battle, it took place on the second migration, um, and this was the Battle of Badr. Um, and we see that the Muslim army at that time was uh, about 300 men. Um, and within a span of four years from the first Battle of Badr with this to uh, the next four years, it says that the Muslim army, they rose to 1,500. Um, and this number has been mentioned at the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. So a Treaty of Hudaybiyah was, as we know, a treaty between the Muslims and the Meccans. And one of the guidelines of this treaty was that there will be no fighting. This is also very interesting, if I can speak about this treaty, that the Holy Prophet, was he saw a vision that he's entering uh, Makkah, his, his own homeland, his home city, where he was, uh, you know, uh, drived out from. So he saw this in a vision, so he took all his companions, uh, 15,000 people, and went towards the city, thinking that um, th this is the day we return here. And uh, when you read about this in the books, you know, the, the, the emotions of the people were so severe that, they, you know, you, like you can't wait to do something. And they were so looking forward to this, to going back and performing pilgrimage of, of the house of God, of the Kaaba. But on the way there, they were stopped at the border of Mecca. And uh, the, the, the Meccans, they said that you can't enter the city. He won't allow you. And uh, what was proposed then was a, was a peace treaty. And in that peace treaty, they decided that you will go back this year. You will not perform your pilgrimage this year. You will come again next year. And that's what they said to the Muslims. And... In return, we will have peace for the next 10 years. We, we won't stop you from uh, um, doing this pilgrimage. We, will, we won't fight you, we won't attack you. So this was a treaty signed at that time. And the Muslims, the, the, the companions of the Holy Prophet, they were so, um, they were confused. They, they said that you, you said that we will go, we will enter Makkah, but uh, this is not what's happening. So we, we should, you know, advance having that faith that God is with us, we should advance. But keeping in mind the, the, the importance here the, of, of justice and uh, peace, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu he, he decided that, no, we will, we will, I will take back my word. I will, uh, um, which was not, he, I wouldn't say he lied, but he, it was, it was a, a mistake of uh, interpretation. Um, so he, he said that because of this peace, which is so important and so so um, vital to this um, country, we will uh, accept these conditions and we will we'll let them uh, send us back and we will come back next year. So again, here, the importance I want to uh, take the listeners to is also towards the tolerance of, um, of uh, other people and the importance of peace, the Holy Prophet ﷺ, peace be upon him, has uh, taken on and he's always always tried to wherever there was a treaty with the disbelievers whether whatever religion they were wh uh, whether they had a religion or not 
it was always for the purpose of achieving peace, always for the purpose of, um, you know, creating a, a environment of harmony. Yes, um, and also one thing uh, which I wanted to highlight was that, uh, as you mentioned, that uh, the Treaty of Adabia, there were 1,500 Muslims. And uh, the treaty, one of the treaty was that there would be no fighting between uh, between the Muslims and the Meccans. So w- we see that within the next span of two and a half years, it says that the Muslim army it jump, jumped from 1,500 to 10,000. And we find this, uh, this in the conquest of Mecca. So within, uh, within a span of two and almost a half years, it says that uh, the army rose 8,500, whereas before from the Battle of Badr to uh, the peace treaty in those four years, uh, the Muslim army only rose about 12, 1,200, whereas now within a span of two and a half years, the Muslim army had increased drastically to 8,500. So what this means is that these battles that were taking place at that time, they were actually a hindrance in propagating the message of Islam. And the weak out of the great persecution from the Meccans, they kept their faith to themselves. And Muslims, they themselves could not give time to propagating Islam as they were busy in these continuous battles. And after the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, they were given freedom to propagate their faith and this becomes a means uh, for 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 this becomes a mean for those uh, people that concealed their faith to openly accept Islam as, and Muslims they were able to give time to propagating Islam so uh, I just wanted to mention that point now we do have a short uh, clip uh, that we do want our listeners to listen to and this is an address delivered by the 5th Caliph of the MDM um, may Allah strengthen his hand at the Peace Symposium in 2006 where he discusses religious tolerance and freedom of Islam so uh, let's listen to that Islam's teachings unite mankind and foster a spirit of mutual love and respect between all people, irrespective of racial, religious, or social backgrounds. It is, a religion, it is a religion that breaks down barriers and encourages peaceful and tolerant dialogue. Thus, it is inconceivable for a true Muslim to persecute or oppose other religions or their followers. At no place and at no time has Islam ever promoted extremism or encouraged violence violence in any shape or form. Wherever and whenever a Muslim has conducted a terrorist attack or exhibited any type of radicalism or fanatical behavior, it is only because he or she has deviated entirely from Islam's teachings. Such people and such acts serve only to defame and tarnish the pure name of Islam. 
In the very first chapter of the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty has proclaimed that He is the Lord of all the worlds, who provides for and sustains all mankind. The means of that, this means that God is the provider and sustainer of all people, irrespective of their faith or beliefs. Due to the grace and benevolence of God Almighty, even those who deny His existence or have no religion are reaping the blessings and fruits of this world. So that was the uh, clip from His Holiness. Um, so, and, and this is it from our first segment. Um, we will be going into the second segment and we'll be looking at reasons to be optimistic about the Climate Summit and we do have a great lineup of guests uh, for our listeners. But if any of our listeners uh, do want to get in touch with us, you can do so by calling us on 0286877878 or you can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, so we're just going to be taking a short break and after the short break, um, we'll be coming back. So don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll be back straight after this. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to the breakfast show. Uh, you are joined by myself, Tokir, and brother Imam Usman Manan here in the studio, Voice of Islam. And we're looking at the topic the reasons to be optimistic about climate change. Um, and we are pleased to have our first, first uh, guest on the line, Miss Adeline. Um, and uh, Adeline is a policy. Uh, fellow Adaptation and Resilience at the Gratham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment and her f- work focuses on climate adaptation and public policy. So we're, we're very pleased to have her on the Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me this morning. So I, I wanted to ask uh, to start, could you outline your role as a Policy Fellow at the uh, Gratham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment, please. Yes, so my role at the Grantham Research Institute uh, involves undertaking research and engagement to impact climate adaptation policy making um, and debate both in the UK and internationally. Um, So just to tell you a little bit about what climate a bit about climate adaptation. So Mm. climate adaptation is, is about preparing our society for current and future impacts um, of climate change. So if we know that climate change is causing more extreme weather, this is this is not only going to affect us in terms of more disasters, such as flooding and heat waves, but it's also going to affect our food security due to the impacts on agriculture. It's going to affect our health due to the increasing prevalence of diseases. Um, and it can also threaten places of cultural value. So my work on adaptation is thinking about how we can change the way we live and build and government policies 
so that we can live with these impacts of, cri of the climate crisis um, in ways that don't further entrench uh, existing social economic inequalities um, while maintaining a functioning ec economic and ecosystem. Um, so just to give you a bit of a, a flavour of, of adaptation work, um, so, so adapting to climate change can be quite simple. It can be things like ensuring that elderly people have a place to go that's cool when there's a heat wave, um, which are likely to increase in, in many parts of the world, um, including in the UK. Mm. Or it can be much more complex. Um, so it can be thinking about how to make our global food uh, supply secure um, and preventing it being threatened by climate change. Another, Wait. sorry, just a, another yes. quick example is um, a part of my role working at, in the, the Zurich Flood Resilience Alliance. Um, so this alliance helps people measure their resilience to flood uh, and identify solutions to improve their flood resilience before floods strike. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. And can you also explain to our listeners about the Zurich Flood Resilience Alliance? Uh, what is the proposed outcome of this project? Yes, yeah, so basically the alliance that, that uh, the Grants and Research Institute works with is made up of research institutes humanitarian organizations and the private sector and and we work in over 100 different countries across the world um, so the projects that we work on vary depending on the community um, so one example is um, our partners in Mexico have helped train community brigades to be first responders after floods um, so this involves things like helping people evacuate in communities um, and delivering food and personal hygiene products um, after floods Whereas, for example, our work uh, in the UK as part of the Alliance um, at the Grants and Research Institute has been to work uh, with local governments in Suffolk uh, to measure their community flood resilience and then to help access new funding so we can implement flood resilience measures locally. Also, just to mention that as, as a part of the work that we do at the Alliance, we take these examples of working at the community level um, and showcase them uh, at at the UN climate negotiations to demonstrate why we need more more ambition on climate change. Brilliant, thank you so much. Uh, my colleague also has a couple of questions he wanted to ask you. Yeah, thanks Adeline. Uh, could you tell us uh, why we need climate laws and global summits such as COP27 and um, this, these things? Yeah, so I think uh, COP27 or, or the UN climate negotiations more broadly are really important because we know that addressing climate change requires global action um, to reach net zero emissions. So we need all countries around the world to reach net zero emissions. And we also need to support vulnerable countries to adapt to climate change. Mm -hmm. So the forums like COP27 um, and the UN climate negotiations that occur every year are really important in providing a place for countries to come together and have and, and have consensus about what we'll do to address climate change. And it's also really important for setting expectations how we should all act and building that ambition over time. Mm -hmm. I also think it's they're really important to provide uh, all countries a place to have their voices heard. And this is really important for, for vulnerable low-income countries such as Bangladesh or, or the Pacific Islands who are most at threat from climate change. Um, so we can make sure that, that their needs um, and issues are heard. Um, just to, to, I suppose, to caveat that we, we know that 
um, global action on climate change um, has fallen woefully short of what's needed. Um, and we have a, a quite a gigantic task ahead of us if we want to reach the, the goal of the Paris Agreement, which is to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees or well below uh, 2 degrees. Mm-hmm. And are there any uh, laws set by the government in, in, in terms of climate change? Any laws related to this? Uh, in the U- it, was that in the UK? Um, yeah. Yeah, so we do see um, that the UK government has climate change legislation and is increasing um, its climate ambitious. So at, uh, in Glasgow last year, there was a commitment, uh, sorry, at the Glasgow COP26 UN climate negotiation, there was a commitment to uh, increase, for all countries to increase ambition at this UN climate negotiations. Um, and the UK has put forward um, an additional uh, pledge. Um, mm-hmm. So they've, they've come back with um, further commitments for how they're going to uh, commit to action on climate change. Um, but unfortunately, what we saw uh, at this uh, COP27 in Egypt is that only around 24 countries um, around the world came back with with higher pledges. So we really need uh, much more ambition um, across the world. And we saw that we're seeing that the the current global climate pe- <clears throat> pledges currently add up to about 2.5 degrees of global warming, um, mm-hmm. and this is uh, quite these are quite significant uh, devastating impacts that we'll see if we've reached um, 2.5 degrees of, of global warming. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's uh, your take on uh, on the on the benefits of uh, acting now rather than later, and what consequences? could it have if we, if we delay it any longer? Yeah, so basically the sooner we take action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the less impact we're going to see on communities, on economies across the world, and also on, on the natural world. Um, and the sooner we take action to reduce emissions, we'll also avoid locking in more severe climate change in the future. So just I suppose as an example, when we talk about the Paris Agreement and the difference between 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees of warming, um, the difference between 1.5 and 2 degrees of warming, for example, could mean that reductions in in maize harvest in in the tropics um, and declines in fisheries will be twice as bad. Um, And this is really important if we're we're thinking about global food security and the impact that it might have on, on vulnerable people across the world. At the same time, while we need to be urgently reducing emissions so that the impacts of climate change um, can be mm-hmm. reduced, what we really need to be doing as well is investing in adaptation. And this will be to help ensure that as climate change impacts become more and more severe, that communities across the world are better prepared to, to, to manage and deal with those climate impacts. Um, so we know, for example, that investing in adaptation saves about $5 for every $1 invested. Um, so, so one of the example of this is we saw devastating impacts in, in Pakistan due to the flooding um, that were made worse by climate change. And we saw that there was uh, millions of homes destroyed um, and that people are now being exposed to, to waterborne diseases um, and are at risk of falling into poverty. So. What we can we can do by investing in adaptation is, for example, in places like Pakistan, is 
investing in early warning systems, and this can allow communities more time to secure their livestock or their other belongings and evacuate their towns to potentially help save lives but also protecting their mm -hmm. livelihoods. Um, and we can also do things like investing in buildings better after disaster events. So this is investing in, in buildings and infrastructure that's going to be more climate resilient in the future. Um, so without more significant investment in, in climate adaptation now, we're, we're at risk of losing much of the progress that countries have been making to lift people out of poverty um, and ensure that we can all live dignified lives. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate your time and uh, all uh, the insight you've given us in this topic um, and hope you have a wonderful day ahead and thank you for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. So this was uh, Adeline Stewart-Watt, who is a policy fellow uh, at the Grantham Research Institution on Climate Change and uh, the Environment. Um, now we will move on to our next guest, um, Sunny Huang. Uh, um, he is Giving Green's Growth Officer. Uh, sorry, she began her career as a journalist, first at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in Toronto, then at the uh, Economist in London. After moving to the non-profit sector, she worked with Generation Pledge to grow the community of ultra-high net wealth inheritors who want to do good with their resources. Uh, Sunny holds uh, degrees in uh, journalism and environmental economics. She uh, she's passionate about helping impact-oriented organizations to grow. Assalamualaikum, uh, peace be upon you, and welcome to the breakfast show. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. Um, so the first question I have for you is that um, what what is the mission of your organization um, named Giving Green? Yeah, absolutely. So Giving Green was created to answer the question, what can I do about climate change? Because we've heard from so many people who are keenly aware of the problem, but don't, simply don't know where to start. And I've definitely been in the same place. And my team of teammates have shared the same question. And, and that's why we created Giving Green, and that's where Giving Green comes in. So specifically, we want to make it really easy for people to find outstanding climate charities that are evidence-based and cost-effective. So these are places where people's donations can do a lot of good for the mm -hmm. planet. And, and how we go about doing that is we do so by spending thousands of hours on reviewing the evidence, interviewing the experts, and performing analysis. So, so you don't have to. Um, mm -hmm. And every year, we publish a short list of recommendations. And in fact, we're releasing our 2022 recommendations um, today and tomorrow. So, 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 this, so this, this timing is impeccable. I'm really pleased to be having this conversation here today. Thank you. And is this a, a charity on its own or... Is this looking to uh, give information about other charities and uh, reliability? Absolutely. So, so we, we are what we call a, a charity evaluator or mm -hmm. a meta charity. So we are a charity ourselves. We are entirely supported by, by donations um, and, and we find other outstanding char charities in the climate space. Mm, that's amazing. Um, okay, the next uh, is that what, what, what is the urgency on acting um, on climate change right now? Why Why is everyone so uh, this urgency about it? Why, why if you delay it a few, few years maybe? What what could the impact be? Yeah, I, re I think it's a really good question focusing on you know n not why climate change matters but why climate change matters today. 
So, 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 so climate change is a long-term shift in, in, in global conditions, and specifically you're talking about anthropogenic climate change, and that is climate change caused by human activities or human-induced mm-hmm. climate change. And, and that is having a significant impact on our ecosystems, on our economic systems, and our communities close to home. I think this summer in the UK, for example, you know, we've all lived through extreme heat followed by prolonged droughts. And sleeping in a yeah. 40-degree room is, is not fun for most people, but that can be really dangerous for the vulnerable. And that, that what happened well, six months ago is a manifestation of the impact climate change. Um, more broadly, climate change is causing more extreme water events to happen more frequently. It's causing changes to our water resources in the form of more floods and droughts. Um, we've seen it close to home and from afar, and, and all of that combined with other factors having an impact on our food systems, causing food insecurity, and all of these changing conditions are causing more conflicts and climate migration, just to name a few of the wide-reaching impacts mm-hmm. of climate change that are happening right now. And I think, I think when it comes to climate change, there's three features that are particularly worth noting. Um, first of all, climate change will be called a, a stress multiplier meaning it takes an existing problem and makes it worse. So the more, the further we delay, the, the worse it's going to get. Um, and secondly, all of these issues that I mentioned are fortunately interrelated. You know, food issues can be health issues, health issues can be economic issues, uh, migration issues or geopolitical issues. And again, the further we delay, the more complicated it, it, it gets. Um, and, and thirdly, just to, to really address your question on urgency, some of the impact of climate change are really irre- irreversible if we hit the points, and, and that would have long-term impact. So wh- one of the many reasons why I got involved with, with climate work is that I, I became a parent a few years ago, and I'm, I'm keenly aware of the fact that my mm-hmm. child will likely live to see the 22nd century, and I really dread to see what the world will look to, what the world will look like in 2100. And I know so many parents share the same worry. So, 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 to answer your question, the best time to act on climate was 30 years ago, and, and the second best time is is now. So, mm-hmm, so yeah. the impact of climate change really permeates every aspect of our life today and, and tomorrow. And, and that means the solutions should come from every aspect of our life as well. And, and when we implement the climate solutions, they should be integrated with our, our everyday lives. So I think, I think I'll stop there when it comes to horrible impact of climate change. And I'm happy to <laughs> move on to, to, I'm happy to move on to solutions. Yeah. Um, so there is this, uh, also this, this thought that this is a natural process of, you know, mother nature. So what do you think that how much should we interfere? Obviously, everyone should try their best to avoid um, speeding up this process. But how much do you believe that this is nature doing and uh, we can't stop it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that question gets asked a lot. So, so when we talk about climate change, we, we specify anthropogenic climate change. So these are these are human induced climate change on top of the natural climate ch- changes in, in, in the climate. So all the discussions are, are about anthropogenic climate change specifically. And the mm-hmm. science is pretty clear that human, humans are causing the warming of the planet. Mm-hmm. But, but how, how much evidence do we have that we can stop it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, solu- the solution's out there. So, 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 so simply put, climate change is, is because of that excess of greenhouse gases and excess of mm-hmm. um, planet warming gases. And, and, you know, the solution, the most crucial step is, is to limit, um, to make big and drastic reductions in greenhouse gases. Um, and there are many different ways this can be done through uh, by governments, by businesses, by organizations, individuals, and really all stakeholders in society. Um, and, and I think today I, I want to talk more about individual actions, and I think that's what your listeners should be interested in as well. Um, 
Um, I think all of us are familiar with the deductions when it comes to recycling more, just cycling more, um, take take your flights, and eat more mm-hmm. vegetables, have a light rich diet, and these are really important lifestyle changes, especially when you know our actions uh, influence those those or those around us. Um, that being said, um, individual actions can be so much more than lifestyle changes, and we believe that the most powerful individual actions are those that go beyond a single person, that really connect you know, micro actions with macro changes, as in actions that really connect your individual actions with systems change. So what, what are some examples of that? Um, mm-hmm. Writing to your local representatives, writing to your political representatives, taking part in a, in a, in a bigger active, um, active taking part in activism, taking part in the bigger pro- uh, protest, or uh, as, as giving Green Dust, uh, get supporting um, really impactful charities that are trying to change the system. So, so, so when thinking about individual actions, I really urge people to go beyond their personal carbon footprint and think about how they can change the system along with people, those who support them. Very interesting. Um, thank you very much. Um, it was very, very uh, interesting speaking to you and uh, you highlighted many things we can do to slow this process down. Um, and uh, just to mention, I also, uh, I'm not against climate change, but uh, I also have this doubt all the time that, you know, how can we do enough to, you know, slow it down um, in this sense? But thank you very much for your time and uh, I hope you have a wonderful day and uh, I hope uh, we can... Uh, um, all contributed is giving green. Um, if, if you would like to mention your, your website or any contact, yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're, I completely understand your sentiment. I think climate is a hugely complex space. Uh, the scientific, the scientific um, studies and, and 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 the economic and the social impact. I, I completely understand where you're coming from. But there mm-hmm. are free resources out there. There's so lo- lots of reliable, high-quality, accessible resources out there. Help people, first of all, understand what's happening, and secondly, what, what to do. And Giving Green is, is one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so our website is givinggreen.earth, and we are releasing our top uh, 2022 top nonprofit recommendations today, and I really encourage people to, to check it out. All of our information is scientific, it's transparent, it's actionable, and we publish all of our results for free. So anyone who's interested in giving to, to climate charity, whether they have $5 to give or 5000 to give, they're more welcome to use our resources. Amazing. Thank you very much. I'll check that out myself. Um, and uh, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your um, insight on this. I hope you have a wonderful day ahead and uh, you your launch of this uh, top 20, top 20 you said? Top five. Top five, sorry. Top five uh, ways of um, the research you're doing. I hope it goes well. Thank you for your time and hope you have a nice day. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, this was uh, our uh, last um, final guest for this segment, Sani Huang, who is a um, uh, who has uh, started this Giving Green um, um, website, and uh, she began her career as a journalist first at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in Toronto, then at the Economist in London. After moving to the non-profit sector, she worked with Generation Pledge to grow the community of ultra-high net wealth inheritors who want to do good with their resources. And Sunny holds degrees in journalism, environmental economics. She is passionate about helping impact-oriented organizations grow. <clears throat> uh, so this was our um, these was our guests and uh, speaking about climate change, the importance of it. 
Um, from the Islamic perspective, I, I have a verse of the Holy Quran regarding this I would like to share. Um, Allah Almighty states that who made the earth a bed for you and the heavens a roof and caused water to come down from the clouds and brought forth fruits for your sustenance. Set not equals, set not up equals to Allah while you know. Um, the expression suggests that just as buildings or a roof is a means of protection for those living in or under it, similarly the, the remoter parts of the universe serve as a protection for our planet. Uh, and those who have studied the science of the stars, uh, the clouds and other at atmospheric phenomena know how the other heavenly bodies running their courses through the boundless expanse rising high above the earth on all sides make for its safety and stability it is also hinted here that the perfection of the material world depends upon the coordination between earthly and heavenly forces and this can be linked with climate change proving that if we do not cooperate with that which allah has provided for us we risk damaging it to the point that we may not be able to reap its comfort and benefits anymore I mean, uh, again, a very interesting topic and uh, the narration you read of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, where he said the earth is green and beautiful and Allah has appointed you uh, his stewards over it. So that itself highlights that we ourselves as human beings, we have a duty to look after our planet and, uh, you know, we should we should take care of it. Um we are joined uh, by our next uh, guest with us. Um, so we have with us now uh, Jamie Sims, um, and he is from Hope for the Future. Um, so he is a press and media officer for Hope for the Future and background in climate uh, activism and community organizing. Good morning, and thank you for joining us at the Voice of Islam radio station. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, so firstly, could you outline your aims and research as an organization, please? Sure, yeah. So Hope for the Future is a, a climate and nature charity which helps people communicate on climate and nature with their politicians. So it originally came out of a church group of people sort of writing letters to their MPs in the run-up to, I think, one of the previous COPs. And... Um, yeah, so it's always there's always been a kind of faith focus to it, and we have a we have a dedicated faith officer who who leads that work, um, not just sort of started out in a church context, but across all religious groups. Um, so we, I guess, our approach is that we recognise that you know campaigning and stuff is really important, but we think that one of the most effective things that people can do is talk to their their MP or counsellor. Um, so we provide training and tailored support to help people do that in the most effective way and to communicate, you know, in a way that's actually going to sort of make make politicians sort of, you know, change policies on climate change. Um, we know that kind of climate policy and the political system can be quite complicated and daunting mm -hmm. for a lot of people to engage with. So we want to make it sort of clear to people and easy for them to know how to engage in the most effective way so that we can get everyone voice heard on climate change and show that individuals and communities care deeply about this issue and that politicians have to pay attention to it. 
Great, yeah, no, fantastic work uh, that you guys are doing. Um, and also, what is the significance of COP27 and how does it affect us? Yeah, so COP is the, the global UN climate summit, which takes place every year in, in a, you know, hosted by a different country, which brings together most governments in the world, as well as other groups like charities and sort of NGOs concerned with development and stuff like that. Um, there's usually also um, some kind of mobilization or protest outside the conference of activists and social movements, often with a strong focus on uh, indigenous issues or sort of the impact of climate on, on sort of poorer parts of the world. Um, and I guess this year people have also used the kind of attention on COP to, to raise human rights issues in, in Egypt. Um, but yeah, so, so usually at COP countries come together to make binding agreements to reduce carbon emissions and to update their uh, their national contributions, like the amount that they each country says that they're going to reduce their, their carbon emissions over the coming years. Um, so this this year's COP is, is being held in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. Uh, there's like a lot of world leaders this year, I think more than usual. And it's also uh, fairly unusual in that it's, it's an African COP. I mean, a lot of COPs in the past have been held in Europe, at least in the last few years. So there's been a stronger focus on sort of African and other global South issues. Um, but yeah, I guess COP is like a big opportunity for representatives and leaders of all countries to come together and agree humanity's collective response to the threat of climate change, which is obviously something that affects all of us. Um, mm. I think what what are your expectations really for this year? Sorry, what, what are your expectations? What were you looking forward to? What, what are the benefits of this conference we can we can get? So, yeah, this year, the, I mean, I guess that we're at a situation where, you know, climate impacts are already being felt, so it's sort of really urgent for, um, you know, to have, have this conference and to sort of have action on climate change. I mean, if you look at the, the recent floods in Pakistan, um, which I think have affected sort of something like 30 million people. Um, yeah, so the main, the main sort of expectation that people have, I think, getting out of this conference is action on loss and damage, which is, is sort of a technical term, but basically means the kind of impact of, of like the effects of climate change, um, sort of loss of lives, livelihoods, you know, infrastructure, ecosystems, things like that. Um, yeah, a good example would be something like the, the, the Pakistan floods. Um, so there's a focus on finance, basically, from richer countries to poorer countries mm -hmm. to compensate for or reduce the impact of this kind of climate-related loss and damage. Um, it's something that a lot of a lot of faith leaders have come together and put together quite a big statement on this. This is like the main focus of the COP for a lot of people. Um, I think we need to recognise that sort of Europe and the wealthier parts of the world have quite a strong historic responsibility because they've kind of emitted most historically um, and yet they're probably you know going to face the least impact of it or they're more more equipped to, to face the impact and yes, hopefully yeah thank you and uh, lastly what can we do how can the public help you how can every individual um, you know support this and make sure our climate change uh, approach is, is beneficial 
Yeah, well, I think, as I was saying before, I think it's really important that we get, you know, the voice of, sort of all, all communities heard on, on climate change so that sort of elected representatives know that it's, it's something that their constituents care about. Um, there's obviously many ways that you, you can get involved in doing stuff on climate change, but at Hope for the Future, our specific approach is, is kind of, yeah, recognising the importance of communicating and engaging effectively with politicians and bringing people together sort of if in productive relationships, I guess, because we all have a sort of shared interest in in protecting the planet. Um, I think our, our approach kind of came out of realising that, you know, a lot of people really care about this issue and they, they want to communicate, you know, they want to somehow put that through the political system and, you know, kind of have, might have very strong emotions about it, like sort of, you know, anger or frustration, or they really want something to be done, but you need to actually have something specific that you can request that were quite quite based on sort of helping people come up with quite concrete things that they can ask you know their local mp or councillor to do based on like you know what actual powers they have in that area um yes i guess that's kind of approach we have a um a monthly free online open training that's just an hour long sort of introduction on like how to engage with your your MP or council about climate change. Mm -hmm. That's available one, on your uh, website? It's on our website, yeah, which is um, hstf.org.uk. Mm -hmm. There's actually a training at, at midday today, so it's free anyone to sign up and just come along on, on Zoom, basically, and just have a sort of one-hour introduction and meet other people who are kind of interested in taking action. Yeah, that's very good. Very good. Thank you very much, uh, Jamie Sims, for your time. Thank you for Thank all you. your insight and your knowledge. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day ahead and uh, have a nice yeah, day. You too. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having me on. All right. See. Bye bye. So that was uh, Jamie Sims, press and media officer for Hope for the Future. Um, background in climate activism and community organizing so thank you for so much for that uh, we are we have gone slightly over time for the second topic um, but I will just conclude this with the extract from Hazrat uh, Mazlum Ahmed, World Health of the MDM Srimurti uh, on what he says on climate change and I quote that climate he says that climate change is a problem everywhere all across the world especially in the third world countries where the population is increasing disproportionately uh, just to accommodate the increased population nations are developing new residential areas because of this and forests are being cut and this deforestation is a major cause of climate change so you have to be very particular that whatever whenever one tree is cut two trees should be planted in return and concluding, continuing on this, he said that fuel consumption should also be reduced. Now people have come become so lazy that if they want to go from one place to the other, uh, the distance is only 100 yards or 200 yards. Instead of walking to the place, they use their motorbike or car. And in this way, pollution is increasing. And these are there are so many ways, so many other factors which are also causing pollution and climate change. So we have to be very careful, although we cannot say that because of the fear of climate change, we should not have children. So, I mean, very, very interesting and, uh, you know, valid point, His Holiness mentioned that instead of 
you know, walking 100 or 200 yards, we would prefer to use a motorcycle or a car or any other, you know, mo- mode of transport which will uh, cause more pollution to the environment. So, uh, you know, we should, as mentioned earlier, that uh, by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that Allah has appointed uh, humans as co- stewards. So we should look after our climate as it is very important. So with that, we'll conclude this particular topic and we'll move now on swiftly to our second segment. Um, and according to a study of half a million British people, uh, drinking black tea may reduce the risk of premature death from uh, heart disease. So what is this? Uh, what's the findings, uh, Osman, on this topic? Or what, what is the, what's the figures saying? Yeah, so <clears throat> the figures are that the average British person drinks approximately 884 cups of tea in a year, enough to fill two bathtubs. The British drink approximately 100 million cups of tea daily, which is almost 36 billion per year. In this segment, we will discuss the study which proposes that it prevents premature death from heart disease. So what does the uh, study conclude? It says that there were there there was a reduction in the risk of death amongst people who consumed at least two cups of tea in comparison to those who did not. The risk was reduced by around nine to thirteen percent. The research also concluded that people who drink tea gain benefits from it. However, the study is just observational and cannot exactly prove if tea directly re- reduces the risk of death. The study does, however, suggest that implementing tea into your daily diet can be healthy. Um, previous studies showed links between green tea and lowered risk uh, risk of death, including cancer, in the Asian population. However, um, studies on black tea and the reduced risk of death have yielded different results in the past. Um, so this study... Um, was conducted by a research team from the U.S. Um, it was uh, it was uh, by Dr. Marky Ino Choi, uh, National Ca- uh, Institution Institute. Participants in the U.K. were given a questionnaire to complete, in which they were ans- they answered questions like how many cup of um, how many cups of tea they drank per day, and other lifestyle and health health questions. The period of this research was around 14 years and for the participants who died within this time their death date and cause of death was recorded the researchers found a 9 to 13 percent lower risk of death among people who drank at least two cups of tea per day than among those who who didn't drink tea at all tea drinking was associated with reduced mortality from cardiovascular diseases and stroke but no reduction from cancer or respiratory disease uh, than non-tea drinkers. The results reinforce that tea, uh, including black tea, can be part of a healthy diet, says senior author Dr. Erica um, Loftfield of NCO, who published the results in the September 2020 issue of uh, Annals of Internal Medicine. So the the research is observational and does not provide exact links between drinking tea and reduced mortality and certain aspects of the tea were were not assessed either like strength, cup size, etc. 
For this reason, further study needs to be carried out to prove actual links between drinking certain amounts of tea and its health benefits. But we do have some some results, um, which is 9 to 13 percent between this, uh, that it has lowered the risk of death in tea drinkers. Uh, we have with us Dr. Tim Bond, who is the tea, uh, who is from the E uh, Tea Advisory Panel. Uh, good morning, and thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much. Um, so, to begin with, what is the Tea Advisory Panel, and what does your role involve? That's great. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me on the show. Um, it's a great day to sort of drink some more tea. So the Tea Advisory Panel is an independent group of experts that were set up really to sort of bust some myths, um, deep-seated things that people think about tea. Um, so one, one example could be that sort of um, tea is dehydrating. Or, you know, there is this myth that tea is dehydrating. Tea is actually hydrating. And actually, in a recent survey we performed with a 1,000 UK adults, we found that 70% of people actually knew tea was um, hydrating. So there's a number of things. We set the record straight on, on some science where the science could be incorrect or outdated. And then we actually also comment and try and bring into sort of normal language <clears throat> um, studies that come out like the one you just referenced on the UK Biobank study. Fantastic. Um, and also, what are the uh, what are flavoids in tea and uh, how do they plan to be part in lowering the risk of many health problems? So we'll, we'll try not to delve too too deeply into the chemistry. So I, I'm a chemist by background. I've been mm. in the tea industry for probably about 25 years in tea, tea and herbals. So if we think about the sort of the natural plant chemicals, almost like as a, as a family tree. So we've got the normal sort of bioactives or phytochemicals. One family of those are called flavonoids. So they're basically they're polyphenols and they have antioxidant um, um, impacts. Um, and they've actually they're actually found flavonoids are found actually in a wide range of products: um, tea, fruits, vegetables, uh, and cereals. And studies have shown they're actually um, have shown to to benefit human health, including protecting against type two diabetes, reducing inflammation. Um, reducing heart disease, obesity, and actually helping digestive problems. So these chemicals, the plant produces these chemicals naturally for its own benefit. Uh, there is a, we think it's a UV blocker and also to stop um, animals um, in, in, and pathogens actually sort of invading them. But basically they interact with the, the human body in multiple ways. And why we think here in this, this um, UK Biobank study was, was very interesting and it had almost, as you said, almost half a million men and women that were followed through time. So we see that there is a real world impact and in our tea advisory panel, Take 5 report, we're actually looking at five sort of health, um, simple health hacks that we can actually include to actually get more tea into our diets and help people understand um, how tea can help them. But when it comes to sort of the reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease, disease, we think flavonoids improve the performance of blood vessels. So basically, as we get older, um, our blood vessels thicken, they become narrower, sometimes they become stiffer, and actually the flavonoids help reduce inflammation and actually assist in maintaining arterial function, which basically helps blood pressure um, stay reduced, which then reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke and even type 2 diabetes. Very interesting. Um, 
Also, a lot of the tea drinkers, uh, you know, tend to get uh, quite hooked on to drinking tea on a daily basis. I wanted to also ask, is there any um, effects which are harmful effects to uh, drinking tea on a daily basis? In with, with consumption of tea, I mean, most of the science is really coming to a core of three to four cups of tea mm. is where sort of the benefits start. Now, that's cognitive function. Um, we, give, we have actually seen it improve focus and memory, as you said, uh, on this one. Um, they, people get hooked on daily drinking of tea. So with tea, you get your hydration. Um, 70% of the fluoride in the UK diet comes from tea. So that's another health benefit. And then drinking sort of three to four cups of tea a day, I, I drink some more of that, people drink less. There's no negative health impacts. Mm. Very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. My colleague here also has a few questions he wants to ask you. Yeah, great. Uh, could you um, tell us how could drinking black tea reduce the risk of premature death from heart disease? Absolutely. So there's a lot of information here on, on cardiovascular disease. Um, and actually, we're seeing here, this, we've got really good evidence that four to five cups of black or green tea is linked with reduced risk of high blood pressure and high blood pressure or reducing blood pressure actually helps protect blood vessels and lowers inflammation which then actually reduces our risk of coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes. A lot of these sort of all mortality um, reasons why, why people die early. Mm-hmm. And is there any other research you have done surrounding tea and its benefits yourself? Over the years, we've actually done quite a lot. And in the last sort of four years, five years, we've actually published quite widely. Um, we've, we've done a paper on, um, on black tea. <clears throat> Obviously, black tea is, is, is the color it is brown uh, because of the major group of flavonoids called theorubogens. So we've actually looked at their um, role in um, diet and health, and we find that they're actually a probiotic, so they actually promote good gut health. Um, we've actually looked at tea through the ages um, to actually see how tea can actually benefit us from uh, from being four years old to 84. Um, and actually we've looked at sort of um, how mental health and heart um, disease are, are linked and how tea can actually help reduce the risk of both of those. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Tim Bond. Um, You are from the Tea Advisory Panel, uh, and you have also spent 25 years in the tea and herbal infusion industry. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you for inviting me. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. 0208687878. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. Uh, we are also uh, joined by Erica Mo, and uh, Erica is the founder and managing director of eTicket um, and empowering all tea countries over the world to develop their tea routine so that they can pursue, rebalance, and thrive more every day. Uh, with around 15 employees, Erica is primarily responsible for business development and overseeing the running of eTicket, wholesale, export, e-commerce, tea room, and shop e-commerce dreams. Thank you so much for joining us this morning at the Voice of Islam radio station. Hello there. Thanks for having me on. And I'm delighted to be on with uh, Tim Bond as well. He's 
He knows everything there is to know about um, tea and health. So, yeah, <laughs> amazing to listen to him. No, very interesting topic. Um, you know, we're really enjoying this uh, topic. And I, I want to begin with, I wanted to ask, what is uh, eTicket and uh, what does your role involve? Um, so basically, Etiquette is a specialty leaf tea company, and we're all about really empowering tea drinkers all over the world to just take a moment while they're waiting for their tea to brew so that they can pause and rebalance. And we suggest little tea routines while they're waiting for their tea to brew. So it could be a little uh, breathing exercise or a little gratitude exercise or just anything that's going to help them get a little bit more out of their day um, and really help their mental well-being. Um, and I started it, it'll be 14 years ago next month um, and yeah we have a our hub is our tea room in our shop in Edinburgh in Scotland um, but we supply tea and teaware all over the world through our website um, and then to other businesses so we're just trying to spread the love and the message of tea far and wide Fantastic um, I mean we all know what tea is but um, if you can explain uh, how is it made and uh, why why should we all drink tea i mean my my panelist who's also sitting here he's saying to me that he's not a tea drinker himself <laughs> so how can we influence him in uh, in joining us oh that's my favorite question yeah um i think tea tea has um what first got me into tea was I used to drink normal tea bag tea. I used to be a litigation lawyer in London, and I think the average dunk time at that time was less than 20 seconds. Thankfully, it's gone up a little bit, but nowhere near what it should be to get the full flavour and health benefits. Um, but necessarily, the tea is cut up into tiny pieces so it can fit into a normal tea bag. Um, so it's really hard. You're just missing out on so much more. It's like comparing it to ground like instant coffee compared to freshly ground beans. So there's not really any comparison. So it was when I first got introduced to whole leaf tea, my mind was blown. Just It was completely different. I could taste things properly and there was there's such a world of tea out there to explore. Um, and I think still in, in, in the UK, at least for, for a very limited, um, in the amount of the wonderful world of tea that we see, we're hardly even tapping the surface of it. So that's what gets me really excited about it. Um, but it's also um, the point that we should, if we can just pause for a little bit longer than like the minute people take to dunk their tea bag, we can, as a nation, get a whole load more um, health benefits. Um, even if it's just the, the mental well-being from pausing for three minutes um, and letting your, your mind and your body calm down, that in itself has a huge effect. Um, but as Tim was saying, there's also lots of, of scientific studies showing that there's lots of different health benefits too. Um, but just to answer your question about how tea is made, the f- fascinating thing about it is that it all comes from one plant called Camellia sinensis, mm-hmm. which now grows all over the world. So even in the UK, there's lots of really amazing tea gardens springing up. Um, obviously not on the same scale as there are in, in countries like India and China and Sri Lanka, um, but we're getting some amazing results out of it. So it's all from one plant, which I think is remarkable. Um, and then it has lots of similarities, therefore, to things like coffee and wine too. Mm-hmm. Is that um, only for so black tea or all the no, teas? No, no. So all, all tea comes from the one plant. So mm-hmm. it's generally you're looking for the top two leaves in a bud, ideally, and then it's um, the differences in tea come from how it's processed, how it's processed, and how oxidised it is. Um, so then you get either generally white tea, green tea, oolongs, or black tea. So mm-hmm. yeah. So when you're looking at the health benefits as well, they're 
there obviously are differences, I think, between some of the different tea types. But essentially, because it's all from one plant, it stands to reason that all tea has some health benefits, some similar health benefits as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've you've convinced me, convinced me a little bit here. So I, I, I'll, I'll try it. <laughs> I've tried tea. I would urge you to try it and um, yeah, taste it. There's there are so many different varieties, thousands and thousands. And then once you start to get into flavored teas and different blends. Um, the possibilities are absolutely endless. So I have yet to find someone that I can't get a cup of tea or a herbal infusion that they absolutely <laughs> like. <laughs> Great, thank you very much. Um, I have one last tiny question. What's what's the difference between tea and coffee in, in terms of its benefits and effects? Just a quick one. Um, well, I have to say I'm not an expert on coffee. Um, the one thing I can say is that a lot of people think that tea has a lot of caffeine in it, but when you compare it to a cup of um, normal sort of instant coffee, it's got at least half as much caffeine in it. Mm-hmm. And when you're comparing it to um, espresso ground coffee, it's got even less caffeine. Um, and it's got the chemicals in it react differently on you as well. So I think to my mind and in my personal experience, not being a, a scientist on this, mm-hmm. um, but I think you can get a lot of the similar effects of coffee as you can with tea. So that really focus um, and alertness um, from the the chemicals inside the tea leaves itself um, without as much effects on your body, um, sort of when you can't sleep at night and so on. So I myself can only have one cup of coffee a day and I have to have it before sort of two o'clock or else I feel the effects all day. And it really messes with my sleep. Um, and everyone's really different how they react to caffeine. Whereas tea, I can drink all the time. <laughs> um, although, as Tim said, the ideal um, number of cups a day we should all be aiming for is three to four cups for maximum health benefits, as I understand it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Erica Moore. You are the founder and managing director of ETCUT. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Thank you very much. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us, or you can tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK. So that was Erica Moore, um, and a very interesting subject that we've uh, discussed on uh, tea drinking um, and the the benefits of that. Um, and uh, you know, just to conclude as well, that Islam it emphasizes as well that we should look after our health and. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, at one place, he said that there are two blessings which many people do not appreciate, health and leisure. So highlighting the fact that, uh, <coughs> you know, uh, if God has blessed us with good health, uh, we should look after it and make sure that, you know, we uh, don't uh, you know, ne- neglect our health and, you know, just by staying active. Uh, we we do uh, look after our health as well. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has said that it, that a healthy believer is better than a weak believer. So that is it, dear listeners, uh, from us here from the Voice of Islam studios. Um, I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank the producer, uh, Nafisa Amini, and her team, uh, of researchers for a great show uh, we've really enjoyed it um, I mean I myself uh, am a Friday morning presenter but I've really enjoyed presenting on uh, Wednesday morning and uh, I just wanted to thank uh, 
uh, you, Usman, uh, for for joining us this morning, and also our main main guy at the, in the background, the in the tech team, uh, brother Akib Nan. Thank you so much for your help, and also to our le- dear listeners for join st- tuning in. Until next time, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May the peace and blessing of Allah be upon you.